are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bible, please, to Acts 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I want to speak this morning on how to be the best kind of a Christian. How to be the best kind of a Christian. And I trust you'll listen very carefully. 99% of all the people in this audience are professing Christians. If you are, then my dear friend, it behooves you to want to be the best you can be for the glory of God. Not the poorest, not the weakest, but the best. If you're saved this morning, you should want to be your very best for God. So many who are saved are just drifting along and saying, well, so what? I know I'm just, just poor, can't do very much. They try to get away from their duty before God to be the very best that you can be. Easy thing for one to be negligent. Easy thing for one to be a smart aleck about this matter. This is important. If you're a child of God, you're to be your best for God, the best kind of Christian you can be. Everyone. Anything less than your best would be a sin. If there's something that you can do and you don't do it, then it would be a sin. You're sinning against God. Not only against yourself, but against God Almighty. You're sinning against Him. It's wrong. In Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Without turning to it, let me add two other portions. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In Revelation 3, 15 and 16, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The ministry of the Apostle Paul was twofold. First, Paul was trying to get people to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. This was the burden of his heart. This was the passion of his soul. This was the anxiety of his mind and heart at all times to get people to be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And you can see this on every case in the writings of the Apostle Paul, the desire that he had to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ and to get them saved. But he had a second passion in his soul. That was a passion to help those who were the children of God. That they might grow in grace and be what God wants them to be. And for this, the apostle was constantly giving himself in his writing, in his living, in his witnessing, in his testifying, in every way. He was trying to get the children of God to live for God and to be strong in the grace and the faith that is in Christ Jesus. He writes a letter to the church in Corinth. Read both of the books, if you will, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 
You'll find the same message all the way through. What is he doing? He's trying to get the Christians in Corinth to be strong in the Lord Jesus. He's writing and saying, you're babies in Christ. You're just babies. You should have grown. And you should have gone on the non-trouble about it. He's writing to condemn their sins. They have the awful sin of immorality that crept into the church in Corinth. And Paul said, this is wrong and it's sinful. And I point it out to you. They were getting wrong in the matter of tongues, speaking in tongues. And Paul said, let me make it straight to you so you'll never be mistaken about this matter of speaking in tongues. And everywhere, Paul is trying to help them to be the best kind of Christians they could be. Not only for the church in Corinth, but for the church in Galatia, the same way. The church in Galatia was upset by all kinds of isms coming in. Judaism was crowding in and trying to get them away from the pure faith in the Son of God, saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and the law was trying to be shoved down their throats. Paul said, now you wait. He said, this is not it. He said, by grace are you saved through faith. By faith in Jesus Christ you come to salvation. Not in any other way. To the church in Ephesus and to the church in Philippi, Paul is writing, the church in Philippi was his favorite. This was a church where it seemed that he had people nearer to his heart than in any other place. And yet in the church in Philippi, he said, I want you to grow in grace. He said, I beseech you, Odious and Syntyche, that you be of the same mind. He said, you two women are wrong. He said, you've got your minds all separated on this matter. I'm serving God and you're wrong. He said, I beseech you that you be right in your mind. Now, Paul was writing to them as Christians. He wasn't saying because of your divisions you're unsaved. He didn't say that. He said because of your divisions and because of your failure to understand the word of God, you're a babes in Christ. You're not right. And he said, I want you to get straightened out and grow in grace and be what God wants you to be. This is the day of strange turmoil in which we live. This is the time of many heartaches and anxieties on the part of all of us. This is the time when things are getting so confused and the soul misunderstood and we're getting so far from the plain, pure uh, word of God that it's hard sometimes to find the truth in the midst of all we have. This is the day when we glory in certain things and men wear their patches uh, and their pins, you know, and they rejoice about certain matters. They've attended a certain club for five years, for ten years, for fifteen years without missing a single meeting. But they haven't been faithful to Jesus Christ. But still they feel like it's wonderful and fine. I say, dear ones, we've gotten it all confused. Until today a man might be a good member of the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary Club or the Exchange Club or any other club. They'd be the poorest Christian in all the world. And they'd be a fine mason or an odd fellow or a Lincoln or whatever they call them. All of that would still be far away from God. My dear friends, will you listen to me? There is nothing so important in this world as you being first saved and secondly walking with God and doing what God says. Now I don't care if you're the finest member of the civic club in the city of Chattanooga. Unless you're a good Christian, I don't give a time for you. You're not worth the powder and let it take to blow your brains out. Unless you're serving God in the right way. We've gotten this thing all mixed up, you know. 
Five fellows come around telling me I have missed a meeting in my club in 15 years. I'm so-and-so, and they try to tell me about it. That's because they don't know me very well. When they know me better, they don't tell me. But the first time they see me, you know, they'll come up and go to bragging about it. I'll say, just a second, sir. Do you attend church every Sunday morning? Well, I go sometime. Do you attend church every Sunday night? Well, no, I don't go Sunday night. I just don't go. Do you go every Wednesday night? Well, no, I've never gone to prayer meeting. My dear friends, we've come to a sad day when Christians can say goodbye to all of their religion by going to a Sunday morning service and saying that's all of it. Not all of it is just the beginning. And the Sunday morning hour is just the initial part of this business of serving God. Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every night in the week, and every day of the week, we need to be faithful in serving God. The Son of God deserves our best. Now I want to talk about the best kind of a Christian. Number one, the best kind of a Christian knows he's saved. The best kind of a Christian knows that he's saved. Now there's some people that don't know what salvation is. They don't know what it is, and so you have to explain it to them. You have to come and say this is what it is. I want to come back and emphasize now the best kind of a Christian is the one who knows that he's a child of God. Here's a man that I went to see the other day. I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes, sir, I am. And smiled at me. We talked for about five or ten minutes. I said, when were you saved? He said, saved. He said, what are you talking about? He said, why? He said, I don't know what that is. Well, I said, you told me a while ago you were a Christian. He said, oh, yes. He said, I'm a Christian. Well, I said, if you're a Christian, then you're saved. He said, oh, he said, now, wait a minute, preacher. He said, you've gone too far from me now. He said, that I don't know about. That I don't know about. He knew nothing of Jesus Christ at all, and yet he was trying to hide behind the fact that he had a Christian banner up. And many people would have been deceived and would have been led astray by thinking that all was well. He knew nothing, absolutely nothing of salvation. Not one single thing did he know. He meant by a Christian that he belonged to a church. He meant by being a Christian that he believed in God. God was all right, and so he was always well. But as far as being born again by the Spirit of God, he knew nothing of what it was to be saved and to be a child of God. The best knowledge is the knowledge that you are saved, that you're in the family of God. Now we can know we're saved. We can know we're saved. Let's put it down. First, we can know it by the Word of God. This Bible very plainly tells us when one is saved and when one is lost. Look at this. John, 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, John said, I'm writing this that you may know that you're saved. And if you don't know it, he said, there's something wrong with you. If you've got doubts about it, there's something wrong with you. If you're not sure about your salvation, there's something wrong. How plainly did Jesus say a number of times, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And everywhere in this infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God, you find the evidence that a man can know that he's a child of God by the word of God. The Bible tells us what to do, and the Bible tells us who we are when we're saved, and where we're going when we die. Secondly, we can know we're saved by the love that we have for others. If you love others, if you love the brethren, if you have regard for them and respect for them, though you may not agree with them in every way, then you can say, well, this is an evidence of the fact that I'm saved. Not the only one, but it's one of the evidence. Listen to it. First John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because he loved the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 
He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. If you're not saved, if you're not saved, then you'll not be loving others. You'll not have the love which is mentioned in the Word of God. But if you're saved, and know you're saved, then you'll have love and regard for those who are the children of God. Thirdly, we can know we're saved by the witness of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you became a child of God, are you saved this morning? When you became a child of God, the Holy Spirit came in and took up His abode in your heart and life. The Holy Spirit is now abiding within you if you are saved. If you're not saved, He's not there. But if you are saved, He is there. And we can know we're the children of God by the presence and the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Listen again. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How beautiful that is. We can know we're saved by the Holy Spirit's inward dwelling in our hearts and lives. Now this is a great time. This is so great. We must not be uncertain. We must know that we're the children of God. Conversion is a great experience. Coming to say that I'm saved, I know Jesus as my Savior, is the greatest of all experiences. In this world you'll have your troubles. The Apostle Paul was maligned and mistreated. The Apostle Peter was stoned, crucified upside down. The Apostle John was cast out and exiled. Every child of God will come to suffer in some way. For the Word says, all in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But if you're a child, you can say, I have peace in my heart. Why? Because I know that Jesus is mine. Now, the best kind of a Christian knows that he's saved. Secondly, the best kind of a Christian is separated from the world. First is salvation. Second is separation. The compromising Christian is soon forgotten in the work of our Savior. The weak, ineffective, faithless child of God will leave no mark upon this world. But the Christian who stands for Christ and separates himself from the world will be a blessing to others. And will have his name written down in God's book. And will be marked for a reward from heaven. If he stands for the things of God. Now Paul was a separated Christian. Into his heart was the peace of God. And he said the same peace can be yours. This peace will garrison your heart. Round about and will keep you in every hour. There is peace of heart through separation from the world. And resignation to the will of God in your life. Now put down a few things. Separation is necessary for the local church. The local church, the Highland Park Baptist Church, will never get far unless we stand for separation. We're apart from this sinful world. We believe in the things of God and we say this is our stand, this is our position, and we're separated from the world. Secondly, separation is an imperative for the individual Christian. You can never be happy without separation from the world. You can never be happy when you compromise with the Word. Always inside of your heart, there will be a rankling and a moving out of the service, which will be there constantly. I don't care who you are. You say, well, Brother Robertson, I don't know. I do something up the soul. I don't guess I'm a separated Christian, but I have, I have peace in the heart. I'm sorry. You don't have. You think you have. You don't have. 
I, I can prove it to you. I can bring you to the office and talk to you for 30 minutes to prove it to you. With any one of you. Why? You'll bring it up yourself. You'll bring it up yourself. And you'll come and say, this is wrong, Brother Robertson. I know it is. I've been disturbed about it. I know that God can't bless me in the fullest way unless I'm separated from the world. Again, separation from the world is necessary for an effective service. We can't be our best for Jesus Christ. We can't serve in our best way unless God can take us and say, I have all of this man. I have all of this woman. I have all of this young person. Surrendered completely unto the Lord. Again, separation is essential to a future reward. This Father reads, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. And the reward shall be given to those who are living for God and serving him. And those who are separated from the world and not mixed and aligned with the evil things of this generation and age in which we live. Oh, Christian, this morning, live a separate life. Live a separate life. Let God put his hands on you. And say, by God's grace, for the rest of my days, oh, God, I'm living the life of separation from the world so that others may see Jesus in me. The act of separation is repeated so many times. I've given you many evidences of it in messages before this. But this is one that I haven't given. The miracle of separation happens every morning. Every morning as the sun comes up as the day dawns, the miracle of separation is there. When the night shadows flee away and the light of the day comes, the owls and the bats and the beasts and certain kinds of things will go back into their holes and their covers. They hide away. Why? Because they don't like the light. They don't like the brightness of the new day sun. They don't like the illumination that comes upon the earth. They turn from it. They turn from it. But if you're a child of God, you're seeking for it and you rejoice. If you're a child of God, you're happy that you're saved and the light of God can shine around you. You break into joy, a joyful song, even as the song words. This morning when I got up, looked out of the door to get the paper, just for a moment I could hear the birds singing all around. Did any of the rest of you notice it? Well, there were birds everywhere. I thought it was springtime. Just singing. The morning had come. The light had gone. The darkness was done away. The things of the night would hide themselves, but the things of the day would come out. You're a child of God. You belong to the daytime. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Paul after Jesus. Let his light be your light and your heart. But I want to come to a third thing. The best kind of a Christian. Not only saved, not only separated, but the best kind of a Christian is submissive to the will of God. Submissive to the will of God. All kinds of difficulties will be ours unless we're submissive to the will. Unless we say, oh God, thou can't I'll be submissive. I've had so many young folks to come to talk to me in the last few days. I found some of these good young people, fine young folks, but stubborn wills. I found some resisting the working of God and holding back. And when God wanted to guide them in a certain direction, they were turning from it and not submissive. Listen, submission means the willingness to do what God says. Submission means readiness to move as God directs. Submission means alertness. The sense of eating of God from day to day. All Christians are able to spirit sometimes. But the successful Christian.
Holy Spirit all of the time. All of the time. I've heard churches in Germantown, Tennessee, outside of Memphis, Tennessee. I've pastored there for 10 months. God bless me, but tomorrow this week, many, many were saved Sunday after Sunday. We built it to Sunday, we built the first one ever built in the churches, organized before the Civil War. And the people were coming along, and the crowds were growing, and that small church, very small. My Sunday school class was a lot bigger than the whole church was at Germantown. But I stayed there 10 months, people being saved. Being saved just constantly. When one day a man called me up and he said, I wonder if you'd meet me downtown at a certain restaurant. And I said, yes, sir, I'll be glad to meet you. He said, I want you to have lunch with me today. And I said, yes, sir, I'll be there. I didn't know what it was all about. We sat around the table and had a fine lunch. As a matter of fact, it was the most expensive dinner I'd ever had in my life up to that time. I've had one or two cents, but not more than two at the same thing. But that's the most expensive Brother, he gave me the biggest, finest steak I've ever had in my life. And he ordered it for me. I didn't, I didn't know how to order one. I couldn't have ordered it for I wouldn't know what to say. But he ordered it, had to put out the table. And when I began eating, and after I just got finished, he looked at me and said, Young man, he said, I want you to come and be my associate. I want you to come to my church. You know who the man was? Dr. J.R. Black, who was then pastor of the Temple Baptist Church of Memphis, Tennessee. The first largest, the largest church in the city was Bellevue Baptist, where Dr. R.G. Lee is. The second in size was Temple Baptist, a tremendous church, tremendous Sunday school, a wonderful work. He said, I want you to come and be my associate. And he began telling me what I could do. My dear friends, will you listen to me? Almost before I knew it, I was just a boy in my early 20s. Before I knew it, I said, yes, sir, I'll do it. I said, that's fine. That's what I like. That's the kind of work I want to do. And I'm glad to take it. And I'll take it. Next thing I knew, I'd walk back to the Germantown church and walk in and said, friends, I'm resigning. I'll be leaving next Sunday. I'm going to another church and told it where I was going. Everyone said, why, that's wonderful. You're moving up higher, aren't you? You're going to something better. My dear friends, I made the most tragic mistake of my life. It was an awful mistake. After a month's time, I knew I'd made a mistake. In two months, it was worse, and I was suffering from it. In three months, I went to the pastor and said, I'm resigning. I'm getting out of here. He said, you can resign. He said, you've got to stay. He said, I brought you here. We're going to keep you. I said, sir, I've got to go. I stayed another month and 30 days time. I packed up one night. And without telling him goodbye, I simply drove out of the city. When I got to Nashville, Tennessee. I sent him a wire. He said, I've resigned. Of course, he knew it was then, but I said, I've resigned. I've quit. I've quit. Would you listen to me? I've spent four months as a young fellow, just four months, that's all. Four months in the worst agony of soul I'd ever had in all of my life. Every single day and night I knew I was in the wrong place. Every single minute was suffering and agony. Why? Because I had not been submissive to the leadership of the Lord. The Lord wanted me to stay back in Germantown for the long time. I don't know how long. But he said, you stay there. But I didn't stay. I didn't pray. Excuse me. I didn't pray. Saying, Brother Robertson, do you mean to tell me yes? I simply resigned and said, I'll take the next job. It looks better than anything to me, and so I'll take it. I didn't pray. Don't you look so dumbfounded because sometimes you come to the same place where you make your decisions and you never pray about a single one. You never seek the leadership of God. You're not submissive to the will of the Holy Spirit. And because you're not submissive, your life begins to suffer. I say the best kind of a Christian 
is one who is submitting to the will of the Holy Spirit. And as God guides you, then you follow and do what God says every step of the way. The best kind of a Christian is saved. He's saved and knows he's saved. The best kind of a Christian is separated from the world. The best kind of a Christian is submissive to the will of the Holy Spirit. And more than last, the best kind of a Christian is always seeking for the souls of others that he might bring them to Jesus. The best kind of a Christian is always seeking for the souls of others that he might bring them to Jesus. Unless you've got the heart for the heart. This matter of soul then you miss the whole These noble Christians of the first century had one great all-consuming passion, that was to win people to Jesus Christ. Read it for yourself. They were always at it from place to place, from time to time, constantly calling. They said goodbye to their homes. They said goodbye to their Jewish synagogues. They said goodbye to everything. They said we're following Jesus. We're going after Christ. We're going to do what he says. Now God commands us to win souls. God commands us. Jesus was a soul. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, go ye and witness. We're to be going and witnessing. We've got to go with a concern, with a care in our hearts. We've got to go trying all of the time to win others to Jesus Christ. The best kind of a Christian is a soul. I'd mention David Brainerd, what do you think about soul winning? If I mention George Whitfield, what do you think about soul winning? If I mention John Wesley, what do you think about soul winning? If I go down the pages of history and talk about any man or any woman ever used of God and you read their names in the history books, every single case, it was a person who had a concern for others and wanted to see people saved and was going after souls and trying to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ in winning others. We must constantly remind ourselves of what God has done for us. What God has done for us in saving us, in giving us peace, in giving us direction, in giving us the promises of God for eternal things. We have received so much. Now may we share with those around us that they might come to know Jesus Christ and to walk after him in the same way. Now I want to speak to the unsaved one. I've been talking to Christians about how to be the best kind of a Christian. We've talked about salvation and separation and submission and seeking, the seeking of souls. But I wonder, my sinner friend, if you're here this morning in the balcony or downstairs and you've never been saved. You say, Brother Robertson, I'm lost. I'm condemned. I'm without Jesus Christ. I want to say to you that Christ died for you. I want to say this morning that hundreds of people in this audience join together. They join in prayer for you. They want to see the saved. I wish to say all the people here, with your exception, are saved and are concerned about your soul, but maybe not. But hundreds and hundreds out of this building are deeply concerned. They want to see you saved. They want to see that you know Jesus. Now there's coming a time when you'll confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God. But in that time, it'll be too late. There is a time right now when you can confess, when you can take Christ as your faith, when it will need eternal salvation for you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org. 
a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.